Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Wednesday, April 6th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. I got Sam Bassini with me. We are all um, not at home. I was going to say home. That's untrue, but we're, we're no longer in Houston. Uh, Norlander left uh, Houston early yesterday. I left Houston late yesterday. Uh, Sam left early, went out to Portland for the Nike Hoop Summit. We will get to that at some point in this podcast, I imagine. Uh, but first things first, a final score from Monday night, uh, Villanova 77. Uh, North Carolina 74 inside NRG Stadium. I think by now you know how it went down, but if not, here's how it went down. Uh, North Carolina was down 10 in the final minutes of the national championship game. They rally. Uh, Marcus Page hits a double pump three-pointer with 4.7 seconds left to tie the game at 74. It appears we might be headed to overtime, but Villanova has a play. They call it Nova. Uh, Ryan Archidiacono uh, gets it down the court. He finds Chris Jenkins. He's wide open. Barry's a three, a true buzzer beater. Uh, Villanova is your national champion. Uh, Jay Wright is now a national championship coach. Both you guys were inside the building to witness uh, this, uh, I think, what is probably considered the the greatest shot in NCAA tournament championship game history. Um, I was just outside of the building on a television set. And uh, though all of us, um, whether it was the crew or the, um, as they say, talent, uh, we had a, a reaction that trumped Jay Wright's reaction. I think we were all more blown away by what we had just seen uh, than, than Jay Wright appeared to be blown away by, by, by what he had just seen. Uh, from you guys' perspective, and I'll start with you, Norlander, um, I, I can't imagine you, you've seen anything better than that up close. Um, just take me inside the building, uh, Chris Jenkins, uh, with a shot that, that's going to be replayed forever and ever and ever. It most certainly will. Um, those so yeah, the page thing was nuts. Okay, I mean, the Jenkins shot will be remembered forever. I think and hope we will um, remember the page shot almost as much because if Jenkins doesn't hit the, his shot and the game goes to overtime and Carolina wins, then Page's shot would be where Jenkins' shot is right now to be considered the best shot in title game history. I would have to believe just because of how insane it was it capped the 10 point rally uh the double clutch like from nba range it was right in front of me i I instinctively like stood up out of my seat as it was happening it was uh it was freaky man and the thing was like that was so intense and then the jenkins shot was such a monumental moment that like my brain even sort of malfunctioned like people were talking about um Daniel Ochefu, like, mopping up the floor, I have no memory of that happening. So if it happened and I was looking at it, I don't remember it whatsoever. The shot itself, um, to me, the play happened, like, really, really, really fast. And then uh, just absolute pandemonium. What was funny was I thought about this in the moment, and I went back later and kind of looked at, uh, at my tweet stream, and people had mentioned it. I wasn't absolutely positive in that second that the shot got off in time. And but whoever was in whoever was in control of the streamers and the fireworks was all over that. Can you imagine if it had not been good and you had like all this crap on the floor and we had to go to overtime? It would have actually been like one of the all-time. It would have been no problem. Ochefu would have just he'd have swept it all up. That's actually a great point. <laughs> Ochefu would have had the thing handled in like five minutes. No big deal. That's a great point. I I love the way the play played out. So it is the same play that Scotty Reynolds won the Elite Eight game in 09 on. It is called Nova. Um, Jenkins is actually the last option on the play as the trailer. The first option is for Arch uh, and or you know Scotty Reynolds to basically have a decision to drive to the hoop or pull up and take the shot, and from there he has other options. And the, and the bailout is the trailer. And I loved how Jenkins, like if you really watch the play, he's just casually trotting behind, kind of keeping his pace deliberate, not getting too far ahead. And so because of that, Hicks kind of drifts. He doesn't pick up Jenkins. And Arch, by the way, let's also consider the fact that he's he's a senior. And a lot of guys in that spot, especially in a house money situation where it's a tie game, they want to get the shot up. They want to, they want to take it. He just flips it back casually. Jenkins hits it one, two step, lets it go. Hicks can't get there in time. And it's such a cool shot because 
He releases. He's still got the, his arm extended. Then he kind of bends and crouches down, and boom, money. Explosion, game over. Amazing ending. And to me, it's got to be the best title game ever because it's got the true buzzer beater fact, uh, facet to it, which, by the way, I don't know if anyone said or, or noted this. I'm sure they did. It didn't occur to me until actually this morning, but I believe that Jenkins's shot gave us the most true buzzer beaters, ball in the air, horn goes ball goes in. I think we had more in this tournament than any single one tournament ever before, which is also a really cool uh, post note. Um, but because the game was fairly well played, Carolina had the huge comeback late, and then you had the drama at the very end with a really pretty looking play. I think this is the best title game in tournament history. I know we've had other really good ones. We've had bigger upsets. I get all that. But um, being in the building, was it was amazing. And I will, one more thing, <laughs> And when that happened, my, every writer was just losing his or her crap because it just – the stories just go – they just go out the window and you're just – you're scurrying to try and get anything on. I mean I had the deadline, the gamer at the, at the buzzer, and I, I didn't even know what to do. I was like, what am I going to write here? Thankfully, Sam wrote like the first half stuff that had happened, so that took up like half the story. Uh, but yeah, it was the sixth, title, sixth team uh, to ever come back um, – after trailing at halftime in the last 30 years and actually when at Louisville was the most recent in 2013. But it was awesome. 65% from the floor Villanova was. That's um, the sec the best percentage over the course of a uh, Final Four and title game, according to Dave Warlock. They were incredible throughout the tournament. And only the 96 Kentucky team in the modern era of the expanded field had a larger margin of victory over the course of six games. But I'm glad that Villanova did not have the largest margin because that means that we had such an incredible finale. And, um, you know, some, you know, it was a, it was a true buzzer beater, as you say, and, and the first in NCAA tournament championship game history, because some people had mentioned Lorenzo Charles, like in the immediate uh, sort of aftermath of the, of the game, like, Oh, it's the first true buzzer beater since, since Lorenzo Charles. But if you go back and watch that, Lorenzo Charles was not a buzzer beater. It went through the hoop. There's like more than a second left. This is a true buzzer beater is uh, leaves your hand, still time on the clock, goes through the hoop. There's no time on the clock. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no rebound. There's no inbound. It's over. Ball in the air. Buzzer goes off. That's what we had uh, on Monday night. Pretty awesome, right, Sam? Yeah, that was absolutely insane. Uh, pretty much everything that Matt just said is exactly what went through my mind as uh, far as what happened. So I'll try and bring up a few uh, different ideas here. So like uh, on the Chris Jenkins play, it's really cool because it kind of happened like right in front of me where I was. So you could kind of see what was going down like from like my perspective. You could see exactly like the point where Chris Jenkins goes from, you know, kind of just trailing the play, jogging along to realizing, okay, this is on. Like, no one's stepping up and starts sprinting. It's like a step before he gets to half court. He starts sprinting to get to the spot because he realizes that because, uh, you know, Bryce Johnson is staying so close to the basket, this wasn't really a, to me, this wasn't really a Hicks problem. I mean, Hicks did a reasonable job, I think, actually. He probably screwed up a little bit in the way that he angled his body uh, whenever he came off of that screen and roll with a Chefu and Arch. But, you know, it was kind of a weird defensive setup for North Carolina because they had Bryce Johnson stay so close to the rim because they thought it was going to be a two-point shot that they had nobody to defend the trailer. So Hicks had to come out and just shoot out after guarding the screen and roll, and it just left Jenkins wide open. Uh, and Jenkins realizes it, and it's really cool when you can see the moment where he's like figures it out in his brain and it goes. And then, you know, obviously I wrote about the Marcus Page shot. I mean, that is, for my money, probably the best shot I've, you know, ever seen, uh, you know, in person. Like, yeah. just think about like everything that went down there. You, you know, you've got Daniel Achefu just flying out and diving at Marcus Page's like ankles to try and get that ball. And Page steps up. He gets like this shot massively contested by, uh, I'm not even sure who it was on Villanova, and, and has to just double clutch it after like being in the air on one foot, like going off of one foot for the shot. The pictures of that shot are insane. Like if you can go to pretty much any story, I think that Will Brinson has tweeted out a couple or CBS Sports football guy. Uh, they're crazy. He, he His body is flailing in the air. And he just chucks it up at the rim and it magically goes in. Uh, I really do hope that nobody forgets that shot. And Paige was 
you know, his typical un unbelievable self in the locker room. Uh, he was, you know, destroyed that the shot, you know, ended up going for not, but he was still just so, you know, collected and calm and was able to articulate incredible responses. Uh, you know, that kid is probably the best kid I've ever dealt with as far as media. Uh, that, that's honestly not an exaggeration. He is ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, pandemonium goes down. A uh, really cool moment was they, they kind of filed off the floor of Villanova to celebrate a little bit, and then they filed back on the floor. And I tweeted out a photo yesterday. Chris Jenkins came up like maybe two feet in front of where I was sitting and just started going crazy at the Villanova fan section that was sitting right behind me. And it just like goes, what can they say now? Let's effing go. And walks off, runs off the, uh, to the side and runs to the middle of the uh, floor and just goes crazy with his teammates again. It was, it, it was crazy. The entire situation was pandemonium. And, uh, you know, it was just like a celebration because like you can kind of, it was weird because you're in a situation where like it's 50-50 split as far as North Carolina and as far as Villanova. As soon as the Jenkins shot goes down, like, you know, I was right behind the Villanova section. So, like, I could hear just massive Villanova, you know, excitement and celebration. But you could also hear, like, throughout the stadium, this just, like, collective groan, like, of just disappointment whenever the shot went in. It was the, the, it was the weirdest, like, moment that you know, I can kind of think of because, you know, on one hand, you have all this celebration and all this madness. And then on the other hand, there are these destroyed North Carolina fans. like And, after... and destroyed people with Villanova minus two. Well, yeah. Because, yeah. like, you at least had an opportunity in overtime to get that cover, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, it was – but seriously, it was a weird, weird circumstance. Everything that Matt says, right, I mean, uh, who, it was Who had North Carolina awesome. minus two, I should say. Um, yeah, I know what you're yeah. going there, yeah. Um, yeah. A couple of things on what you said. Um, first off, like, yeah, the Marcus Page shot, it's not going to be forgotten, but it will never be what it could have been because you know what it could have been, right? You know what it It made. was bigger than Mario Chalmers' shot. Well, it was Chalmers for the tie, like, except crazier because it was a double yeah. pump. Yeah. Like, like, but it – you know, Chalmers for the tie – wasn't a buzzer beater. I don't think people remember that Robert Dozier took a shot at the other end, like at the end of regulation. Now, mm -hmm. it, it was a, like a half-court heave, and it had no shot, mostly because it was Robert Dozier. But, like, Jim Nance actually says the words. It's the, it's the funniest thing ever because everybody remembers Chalmers for the tie, and in this one, it's Jenkins for the championship. If you go back and watch the 2008 title game, the final seconds, Jim Nance actually says, Dozier for the championship. He actually says those words. <laughs> those words come out of his mouth. Dozier for the championship. And then the ball, like, you know. Oh, like, man. It's the, I laugh every time I watch it. Dozier for the championship. And so, um, that you know, so, like, there was time left on the clock for Memphis to at least get a shot off. Um, there, it, not quite as much time as, as Villanova had here. But, um, you know, like, Marcus Page had his traumas for the time moment. And yet now it'll never be remembered quite like Chalmers for the tie because it didn't result um, in a victory. It didn't even result in, in overtime. And then the other po the point you made that I think is spot on is that this was incredibly poorly defended by North Carolina. Like, I don't yeah. have an issue with you putting Bryce Johnson under the goal um, if you think they're going to throw long. But once they don't throw long, like once it's been clear they're not going to have time to get to the rim, get away from the rim. Like, that is, you know, really, like, if you start, you know, if you pause it and start putting player on player, you know, Chris Jenkins was, like, Bryce Johnson was supposed to be guarding Chris Jenkins. Like, nobody ever guarded Chris Jenkins. Like, that's why Arch, like, um, and, and Norland, you're exactly right. Like, when it's a no-lose situation, you know, it's sort of like being up bottom of the night, two outs, tie score. Like, that's way different than bottom of the night, two outs, down a run. Like, I don't know yeah. how many guys want to be in the box. Uh you know, two outs, nobody on, down a run. Because you strike out, pop out, ground out, whatever, game's over. But, you know, tie score, bottom of the night, two outs. Like, okay, if I mess up here, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do or trying to do, we're just going to play extra innings. It's fine. We don't die right here no matter what. But, man, I got a shot to be the hero. Like, I, you know, if I launch one here, it's mm -hmm. a walk-off. Like, that's such a different feeling. And the same thing in basketball. Down one, last second shot, not every dude on the court wants to take that shot. 
tied last second shot everybody on the court wants to take that shot so like that arch didn't take the shot i think underlines just how wide open chris jenkins was and the reason he was wide open i'm not blaming bryce but like somebody messed up there like somebody i mean at a point it's either in the scout kind of the yeah this is kind of the conversation we have with bryce right like you have to be reactive as a player right? right like he's this is why Bryce is not higher on mock draft boards. Like kind of, I feel bad saying it because it happened such a destructive moment for North Carolina. But like, this is kind of a microcosm of what his problems is, are going to the next level. He, he isn't a necessarily reactive defensive player. Whenever it comes to playing on the perimeter, he's gotten better at it. I wrote about the fact that he's gotten better at it when I was in Houston, but he's still not there yet. And this was a big moment. Um, and, and like, that's the thing, like you have to be like, if you go back and watch the broadcast, even Grant Hill says before the pass is thrown, watch Jenkins. Like, if you go back, I've seen it. I think really? we've all seen it. Like, yeah, actually I DVR the game. I'm going to watch it probably tomorrow. I want to actually watch the game in full. Cause it's such a different experience, but that's a great job by Grant Hill. If he said that, you know, he, like it, it um, he said, watch Jenkins and like nobody ever picks him up. And I guess my point is if Grant Hill can recognize Oh my God! No, like Jenkins is just jogging up the court all alone, and nobody's picking him up. Like if Grant Hill can recognize that, you as Bryce Johnson have to recognize that because everybody yeah. else, you know, uh, you know, everybody else is is occupied. You're the one. You're like the the guy floating under the rim. And again, if you want to start him under the rim, it's fine. But there becomes a point where if you recognize the clock and where the ball is. This is not going to be a two-point situation. Either Arch is about to launch it or, or he's going to make a pass and, 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 and we're going to get what we got. But at some point, Bryce has got to leave the rim. Like at some point, he's got – like that's your – the guy that you should have theoretically been guarding um, is the one who hit the wide open jumper. And it was interesting because like, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, on, in a trailer – with Wally Zerbiak, with Danny Granger, two guys who are uh, respected, you know, three-point shooters and just shooters in general. And they both said, like, you can't ask for a better shot. It's not just that it's wide open. It's 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 in rhythm. He's walking you're, right into you're it. You're yeah. walking right into it. Like, that is how you shoot out of a gun, you know? Like, you know, when you've got a, a, a rebound there, a shooting gun there. Like, you you can't, you walk into it, shoot it. It's like, that is the, that's the type of shot a basketball player like takes like 200 times a day, you know, like if you're a shooter working on shooting, like you make, you might take that exact shot in that exact rhythm, um, you know, 500 times a day. So like, it's not just that it was a wide open jumper. It's that he caught it in rhythm. It was perfectly delivered. Like, that's the other thing. It was perfect. Like arch, but it wasn't a hard pass. I can't overstate how much I love how that play unfolded yeah. because even arch and, and Jay, like, even like as he was coming over half court, he was just, you know, arch, arch, arch. Right. Like I'm right here. And they were like, Wright had said it in the media off day. Um, like it's, it was a team of tremendous amount of trust. And I get like a lot of teams feel they can trust each other. But like this is the play that really hammers that home. It's an emblem of that, as we stated, because a senior leader point guard, you know, would take that shot. And no one would have had an issue if Arch launched up a shot. That was maybe even a bad shot. It went to OT. No one would have faulted him for it. And it's just, oh, homie, you're right there. Yeah, go ahead. Take the shot. Uh, be- beautiful play, really. No, oh, beautiful play, beautiful execution. But I do think that's um, one of the things. I don't want to say it's completely lost because I, I, I do think people have noticed it or talked about it. Um, but um, it – you know, it was also poorly defended by North Carolina. Yeah, Phil Booth was also open yeah. on the play. If you want, like, it wasn't just Bryce and just, like, in general, Carolina setup, um, they, they were flat-footed. And Phil Booth, who, by the way, was had a career high in, in the game. Right. And up until that point, I mean, I'll mm-hmm. just say, like, if, if Carolina hadn't have made the comeback, that's that's what I had prepared to write. If, if Villanova just kind of won, got a nice seven-point win, Phil Booth might have been the story because he came out of nowhere, had shot terrifically from the field, and had scored the most points in a college game of his life. Uh, and he was also wide open on that play. But, you know, the, well, the heels roar back, and then and Jenkins does what he did. And uh, and Arch also was fantastic. Arch, ended, Arch, by the way, ends up being the mop 
not Jenkins. Jenkins gets the big shot, but Arch actually won the uh, the most outstanding player, which I've got no issue with. I think that's also. I have no issue a, with that either. Right. I yeah. mean, yeah, he had a terrific game. He had a terrific tournament run. He had a terrific final four in general. Um, can I, can I just it? point out one ironic yeah. thing? You know, GP and I have talked about this problematic defensive setup for North Carolina. Can we talk about how ironic it is that Nor- uh, Roy Williams called us all stupid? Uh, oh, yeah, right. the no, day right. before except except when the play goes down we all say it's the same play they ran for scotty reynolds like we like here's the thing and, and I, you know we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this or, or we can spend a whole lot of time on this but i would say when you start the week saying i know more about basketball than any of you and and somehow your team is unprepared in in a in a game situation when a team is running the play it always runs in that moment yeah. like like uh, you know that that's not a good look because like, um, like that, like even Jay subsequently said, if we didn't have a timeout, or perhaps it was one of the um, assistants, and I can't even remember where I read this, but, but yeah, it might was, have been me because Baker was, told me, Baker Dunleavy. The okay, yeah, that's what it was. Said, it was. Listen, even if we yeah, didn't have a timeout, right. the guys just know that's right. what we're gonna run. If we had nothing there, right. they would have run the same thing. Right, it was in your story, right? Uh, which was fabulous, by the way. Both of you did great work from inside the building. Um, yeah, but like, yeah. So Baker says. Even if we didn't have a timeout, like the kids know what to run. Okay, so if the kids know what to run because they run it so often, like why don't you know what they're about to run? Why don't you know, hey, we have to watch Gene. Like we all sit courtside at basketball games all the time, and we see assistant coaches calling out other teams' plays all the time. He's going here, watch the screener, screen this, all this stuff all the time. And, and yet in the biggest moment of the season, literally the biggest moment of the season, North Carolina wasn't prepared to to properly guard a play that Villanova has run on the biggest of stages before. Like that to me, like that's not a good like all the all the credit should go to Villanova. But like once we get through giving all the credit to Villanova, that is a bad look for North Carolina uh, to to not defend it properly and seemingly be unaware of what was coming, even though you probably, you know, given how much detail is is uh is is used to to scout every single thing all the time the, the idea that you didn't know that was coming and didn't know exactly what to do where to be um that that's not a good look is i mean is that the point you're making sam because that's the point i'm making yeah i mean it's the point i'm making I, I just thought that it was a really weird thing like like i i feel reasonably certain this is not the only time that villanova's run this play it's like not, this year they, even. oh, oh no, like no, no, not no, no. E- yeah. not even like 2009 like i feel like they have to have run this play like this year at some point. I haven't gone back and like looked through the tape, but yeah, no, they did. They ran against Seton Hall this year. Yeah, at, like at least, at least that's what I was told in the locker room. They at least ran against Seton Hall. So like, it's not like these end of game scenario, like this exact end of game scenario. You know, it hasn't played out in seven years. Like, well, you know, how how can you know this? No, I, I feel reasonably confident this has been run this year. Well, when we all um, recognize it as the Scotty Reynolds yeah. play, as soon as it happens, that like it's clearly in your head. Like you know, it's a little bit yeah. like at the you know, though Chalmers for the tie is the most famous example. Kansas runs that play all the time. Still today, they run it. Yeah, all they the do. And yeah. in the game situations, in the half situations, they run it all the time. So if you're in an end of game situation and you're not prepared for the Chalmers for the tie play, like you have, you have not prepared well. And it did. And, and I think this is similar. Like, um, forget that Bryce should just be aware as a basketball player. Okay, um, Jenkins is trailing. Oh God, Jenkins is going to be wide open. Oh God, I'm a terrific athlete. I better get out there and at least challenge. Um, because it, Jenkins still barely got the shot off. I mean, like it's, I don't, I don't want to overstate it. He got the shot off, but like if a yeah. 6'10 athlete was out there, it'd have been a much more difficult shot and he might not have got it off. Um, forget even, once you even get past the point that Bryce should have recognized what was happening on the court, because like Grant Hill recognized what was happening on the court, um, they should have been prepared for it in the huddle. Hey, listen, here's what they're probably doing. Archie's going to get the ball. A chef who's going to set the screen. He'll have options but he'll probably take the shit. But like, you just like, that is such basic basketball stuff. And, um, and they weren't, they weren't ready for that moment. I think that'll haunt Roy for a long time. Um, yeah. So perfect segue here. A couple things on the coaches, um, before the Nova locker room opened, um, as you know, they had gotten off the floor. There was nothing really out there in the arena. Um, I went back to the Carolina locker room and I want to echo what Sam said. There were a lot of – now, I got there late. There were probably 10 minutes left of locker room availability for Carolina. But 
Still a lot of guys, you know, towel on head. Nate Britt had apparently spoken, but when I walked in, you know, Jenkins' brother, um, his back was turned. He was, like, really slowly, deliberately taking a lot of time to get ready. And as he realized there were still people that wanted to talk to him, he just kind of went into the shower area and just stayed in there till availability was done. You contrast that with the fact that Marcus Page had, like, 25 guys around him. He was sitting in a chair and was, I mean, I cannot emphasize how impressive that is. I know it's not going to war. I know that. But, like, it is not easy to lose the biggest game of your life in that kind of fashion and then have to speak to a bunch of people you don't know and, and plenty of people you do with beat writers and all that stuff. And they're just basically talking to you about how you did not win and you got to go into it and relive it and re and answer the same questions. Like it's just, it's, there's a reason why a lot of athletes don't handle it well. And I don't fault a lot of athletes for not handling it well. It was funny though. I tweeted out a photo. Sam's actually in it of page kind of from behind him. And my mentions blew up people at mentioning Cam Newton. <laughs> like it was Dude, it uh, happened to mine too. It was crazy. But at the point I'm making with the coaches is as I left, um, I told I, I saw the uh, the SID for Carolina. I said, hey, man, listen, Paige is the best ever at this. Like he is. There's no one that's ever been remotely as close. And what I didn't realize was uh, Roy Williams was kind of sitting in the corner behind the door as I was walking. So I didn't realize he was there. And he just said, thanks. That really means a lot. But Roy Williams looked so beaten down and depressed. Like, I, I have no doubt that he has a tremendous amount of, of, of regret and um, guilt probably over at, at that defensive breakdown. I think that will be something that the shot will bother him, but I think the, the prep on that will really get to him. I mean, he looked terrible, just as, as worn out and emotionally and physically as exhausted as I've ever seen a coach after a game. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. Contrast that, we have to get to this. It is, I didn't see this until like way late, like hours after it happened, but it was, it was a thing. Jay Wright's reaction <laughs> as that game ends is so amazing. And by the way, like Jay Wright's always been kind of like a cool customer and all that, wears the great suits, great looking dude and all that. But like, he's been plenty fiery in the past. Like he's had big time emotions at the end of games and reactions and suddenly the shot goes up, he just goes, bang. And then, it, and then it is bang. And then he just turns, he goes totally Brad Stevens. Then he goes Jordan Shrug. He's, in, he's, he's tackled by his assistants. It is such a cool, to me, this, the end of this game has just so many cool little facets to it. It's, it's also got, you know, Jordan being in the building and, of course, the internet melting down with with the Jordan crying meme, which I can't explain why I still find funny. I, know I love it. I know people hate it. Like, some people hate it. And they go, ah, I still not. think it's funny. I think it's funny every time. It still makes me laugh. A good Jordan meme is still t crying Jordan no, meme. The photo, the photo of all of Jordan at the end of the game with all the other people having the crying Jordan photoshopped, but it's actually, and then Jordan's actual face is just <laughs> him, like, naturally sad. Like, the actual photo of him at the game, I thought was so brilliant but and then, yes and then Jay, the, the other one with chris jenkins the shot and the balls in the air but it's it's crying jordan's face jordan. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so good I, I, chip I, patterson i'm yeah, trying to figure i'm trying to figure out when i'm gonna stop thinking that's funny but i don't i don't know if i'm gonna it, get there it comes back it's stronger every time this might have been its ultimate moment because it was carolina and jordan was in the building yeah. and they lost in the most crying jordan way possible maybe it doesn't ever get better than this but this thing i'm telling you it's like it's an peaked. alien life form that you cannot kill unbelievable chip patterson did a great job collecting a lot of that stuff on cbs sports if you want to see it um but i'm digressing here the the jay wright thing i just think is um, such a terrific. crazy cool reaction man just he calls it before it goes in and then he just kind of turns and it's just it's like it, it, he knew it was going to happen but at the same time the moment doesn't really actually hit him it's it's really cool it, like most of us like 99 0.9% of us are never going to have video of us that resonates forever, right? That that is shown over, in a, thank God, by the way. Um, but like, if, if you ever are going to be in a video that is shown forever, I think you just have to hope that you're going to look super cool forever, you know? Like that, that that's, that's my favorite part of the Ray J. Kim Kardashian. Ray J looks super cool. You ever seen it? The video. Norlander? What? You've ever seen the, the Ray J video? No. Okay. 
The, my takeaway from all of it, once you get past all the other stuff, Ray J looks super cool. Like you go, okay. man, if, if anybody ever videoed me in, in a similar situation, I would hope I look as cool as Ray J. Right? So Ray J lives forever as a cool person in my mind because he looks so super cool. And now, obviously, a different setting, different situation. Mm -hmm. Jay Wright also looks super cool in his big moment that will be replayed forever and ever and ever. Like, just, like, you, as soon as the pass is made to Jenkins, he says, bang. And then it goes in and just turns and walks. You can see everybody behind him, including Tracy Wolfson. Leave how him. great is that, by the way? Tracy Wolfson. Because that's how you should react. That's how, that's how, just, how, oh, listen, we, we all reacted that way. We were jumping up and down like, oh, my, like you couldn't believe that that just went down like that, right? Barkley. Barkley's reaction. Right. And exactly. Like, really, perhaps, mm -hmm. and, and like, I think whether you're in the building watching on television, of all the people in the country who watched that go down, I don't think anybody looked cooler watching it go down than Jay Wright. It was, if you allow me to say it, it was his Ray J moment. I'm not going to stop you from saying it. I think it was. I think it was Jay Wright's Ray J moment. This, 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 this moment caught on video that's going to be replayed forever, and you could not possibly look cooler than you look in that moment. Shout out to Jay Wright. Shout out to Ray J. Shout out to De Devin Downey. There we go. Can, uh, this is actually a reasonably good transition to where we should go and. Uh, Grayson Allen is now returning to Duke. Okay. That's well, I figured that we could transition from here to our top 25 and one next. Very good, Sam. Um, we do have Duke number one. It was um, based on uh, Grayson Allen returning, although I do yeah. think we could have made a reasonable case, if not a, a strong case, for Duke to be number one, even if Grayson Allen uh, entered the NBA draft. But we now know that he's going to uh, return to Duke for his junior season, and you combine him with Frank Jackson, with Harry Giles, with Jason Tatum, with Emil Jefferson. I mean, that's uh, is it the most talented team in the country? Even more, I think probably even more talented than Kentucky. Yes. But yeah, and I think I mean Draft Express right now has you know Tatum and Giles going first and second in the 2017 NBA draft. Grayson Allen provides um, another first-round projection. Frank Jackson, probably a first-round projection. It is funny, just to loop this back around, and then we'll talk about the preseason top 25 and one. Um, you know, Villanova you know, did something very rare Monday night uh, in, in winning without an obvious first-round future draft pick. And um, I, I do wonder, and I, I don't, I'm not interested in taking anything away from them, but I wonder if this just – the reason they did it this year – is because if you were ever going to do it without without pros, like this was the year to do it without pros. Yeah. Because good luck trying to do it la next year or last year without pros, and good luck trying to do it this year without pros. I mean, next year without pros, because um, they're going to be pros everywhere. And and pros uh, uh, stacked together, you know, at Blue Blood programs, most notably Duke and, and Kentucky. I think there's a – I think that's a valid point. I would say – Villanova was the worthy champion, okay? And I think in a, in a given year with tougher competition among lottery picks that are playing in college, they wouldn't win a title if you simulated a tournament, you know, with this team against, you know, what the top five teams might be next year. I think there is something to that. But this was, you know, it basically had the toughest road you could ask for, okay? It played the number one overall seed. It played the what people consider to be the third best team in the tournament. I know Michigan State lost. They were the kind of the, they were the number two odds on favorite before losing the middle. And then Carolina was number three. They beat they beat Carolina. They beat Kansas. They beat the best player in the tournament. They beat Buddy Heald. Okay. Um, I I think the good thing about the way they won it is after the past two years when Villanova couldn't get any credit because it was losing in the tournament. It goes out, it, it just completely eradicates and eliminates all of that, so much to the point where I think people are going to actually forget about how Villanova, maybe not forget, but it will be so overlooked, what they hadn't done the previous two years, for them to have won. I mean, entering the Carolina game, they were winning and beating opponents by 24 points through five games, including the just utter domination of Oklahoma, which is just, I mean, that's still so aberrational and insane. But this, you know, worthy champion, they... They did it as convincingly as you could ask basically any team to do it. And yes, for them to do it without surefire pros, I still think, you know, there's a good chance Bridges and Hart will be drafted eventually, but they probably probably won't end up as first-round guys. And 
who knows if Hart will even wind up even playing in the league. But your point is absolutely right on. We should we will probably have a strong return next year to teams that are really really good, led by predominantly really really good freshmen because next year's class is so good overall that it's unlikely. You know, like if you told me right now, a year from now, we're going to have a podcast, and in that podcast, we're going to talk about the title game, or we're going to talk about the team that won. If the team that wins next year's title game lacks a first-round draft pick on its starting five, that no would ge- that would genuinely surprise me. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's just let's just go through Duke's roster here. Frank Jackson, five-star. Derek Thornton, five-star. Grayson Allen, I believe, is a five-star. Luke yep. Kennard was a five-star. Jason Tatum is a five-star. Uh, Emil Jefferson, wow. I think, was a high-end four-star. Uh, Javon Delorier is like a mid four star. Matt Jones is a four star. Harry Giles, five star. Chase Jeter, five star. <laughs> like, we're talking just ridiculous talent here. Uh, you know, Giles, Tatum, they're, you know, obvious lottery picks. I think Allen's a future first round pick. Frank Jackson might be a future first round pick. This roster is just wild. No, and like, it's going to be that way at the, at the top of the rankings next year. Although, um, we're probably going to have Villanova, like what well, we do. We have Villanova in the top five. I mean, and, and they still have the same roster minus Lechefu and, and, and Arch. So, like, they'll, they'll still be lacking the type of talent that um, a Duke's going to have, a Kentucky's going to have. Um, but but for the most part, yeah, I, I, I'd be surprised if, if, if only because it's rare, you know, period. But I'd be surprised if next year's national champion uh, doesn't have multiple pros. Um, in its uh, starting lineup. The, the biggest pushback we got, at least from my perspective, when we uh, published this late Monday night was uh, Louisville fans. Uh, the, we have Louisville, like I don't know where we have Louisville, like in the late teens or early 20s. Everybody else uh, that wears red seems to think that Louisville should be um, ranked much Yeah, higher. we were wrong on this. We messed yeah, up. I, still, I, I'm, I fight back on it, but yes, this is mo- this is mostly me, I think. I, I'm selling more Louisville than, than buying here, but yeah, I get it. You, so we, like, in Heinz, like, every time you do something like this, particularly something that's rooted in a whole bunch of uh, hypothetical situations, uh, you, you're going to have a point where you look up and you, you know, a day later, and I sometimes do this with the top 25 and one during the, during the season. Like, somebody will make a point to me, and most of the points are silly, but every once in a while somebody has a really good one, and I go, ooh, you know what? That's yeah, they're probably right. I probably, I probably was you know wrong there. I should have had that team higher, or that team lower, or yeah, I'm contradicting my own logic. Uh, do we think that with Louisville? Like we 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 missed on them. I mean, I made the point while we were doing it that we're too low on Louisville. So yeah, I would say that we're too low on Louisville. Uh, before the game happened on Monday. Uh, I kept asking like all of our friends who are writers around the country that do these, you know, top 25 and ones list. I was like, can you tell Matt where you have Louisville? Can you tell Matt where you have Louisville? Cause Matt was so low on Louisville. I think that you were considering like not having them ranked. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Late, late twenties. Like they're going to be good. Don't get me wrong. I just, you know, I, I'm not as high. We're allowed to. Where was I? Where was I on Louisville? I have no recollection of this part of the uh, conversation. I think you were more a little bit on my side with it, but maybe not quite as much. I, they'll definitely be good again. Like, there's no doubt about it. I was wrong about them, very, very wrong about them coming into this past season where I just didn't even think they'd be close to being a tournament team, and that wasn't even remotely close. They would have been in the field and been a good seed if they'd have been eligible. Um, I think they'll be pretty solid. Uh, I don't know. I guess I don't love all the pieces in the way that they fit. Like, they'll have a lot of really good talent, and they should be – you know, they will be a tournament team next year. I would be shocked if that didn't happen, but I just don't happen to be as high on them as others. And by the way, this isn't, you know, special just to us. I mean, we talked with other outlets as they were doing their top 25s, and people like, you know, one outlet, it might have changed it since then, but they had Syracuse next season as a top 10 team. I mean, that's... That was the one that I got the most pushback on us not having with Syracuse. <sighs> no, nah, I don't... I didn't feel bad about it, really. I, yeah, well, like, Louisville, I, I Louisville, understand a case. Yeah. But... Louisville I'll listen to, and Syracuse I'll listen to. Like, if you want to rank Syracuse, there's nothing crazy about it. But, like, let's be honest about what Syracuse was, all right? Yeah. Like, like Syracuse, it, you know, Syracuse, isn't a fi- uh, Syracuse is a Final Four team, right, forever and always, unless they have to vacate it. But um, they weren't one of the four best teams in the country. They weren't one of the 20 best teams in the country. And now yep. they lose Benajay. They lose, what, Trevor Cooney. They lose yep. Coleman. I don't care about that. But, like... This isn't a Final Four retain. Final, this isn't one of the four best teams in the country returning a bunch of important pieces. This was a borderline right. NCAA tournament team 
that returns some important pieces. And I think sometimes a postseason run can distort what people yep. think is actually coming back. Like, you know, uh, you it's know. not like they bring in like a ton no. either. They do bring in Ty's battle um, who I'm a little bit more mixed on than I think that some recruiting services are, but like they bring in a really good five-star player, but that's it. Like, no, right. It's not like well, there's like, a well, lot else. Well, here's the difference I would say. Villanova is legitimately one of the top four or five teams in the country who is ret- that's returning some, some really important pieces. Uh, Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins, uh, Mikel Bridges, so on and so forth. Uh, Jalen Brunson, presumably. Uh, Syracuse is not one of the top four or five teams in the country. Syracuse is probably not one of the top 20 to 25 teams in the country. So, like, just because Syracuse make the, made the Final Four doesn't mean that they have to be ranked in the top 15 now. Because let's be honest, mm-hmm. Syracuse making the Final Four has as much to do with Middle Tennessee beating Michigan State than it does anything Syracuse did. Like, if, if Middle Tennessee doesn't pull off one of the biggest upsets, if not the biggest upset in NCAA tournament history, Syracuse loses in the round of 32 of this NCAA tournament. I, 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 think, I think so. They certainly would have been uh, mm-hmm. significant underdogs. And Jim Beheim thinks Beheim so. Right. Himself. Jim, Jim Beheim <laughs> said so. Okay, so here's my question. If Syracuse would have lost to Michigan State in the round of 32, would people be screaming that Syracuse has got to be in the top 15? I don't think so. Okay, so then what are we talking about? What are we even talking about here? I agree. No, but like you have to think that Michael Benajay and Trevor Cooney are at 22 and 23 years old are worse than Tyus Battle and Matthew Moyer at 18 years old. I don't believe that. Yeah, no, I don't believe that either. Michael Benajay was like not an All-American, but he was like probably a top 30 player in college basketball this year. Um, I'm not believing that. Uh, they can replace him as easily as I think Syracuse fans want to believe. Uh, that's a really tough sell, in my opinion, especially whenever you lose Caleb Joseph yesterday to a transfer. Uh, you know, that's your that's one of your future point guards right there, even though I know he was really bad as a freshman. Like, you would kind of hope that he stuck around just to, you know, maybe continue to work and continue to improve his game. But, yeah, I- I'm not seeing it with Syracuse. This is a you know, top 30 team that made a run, which is great. And it's a credit to them, but now they're going to be, you know, on paper worse than they were this year. In in fairness though, to that point, like most teams will be on paper worse than they were like, like Villanova is losing two very important pieces, but it's still reasonably a top five preseason team. Like basically everybody loses somebody. So I I guess, uh, you know, like that doesn't bother me as much as, um, I think people get caught up in Final Four team returns, you know, three of the top however many players. Sure. And it's not that's not the right way to look at it. Yes, they made the Final Four. And like you pointed out, that is awesome. Congratulations to them. Jim Beheim did a masterful job uh, in that three week uh, single elimination tournament. But that that's not a, a proper representation of what Syracuse was uh, in the year 2015-16. What Syracuse was in the year 2015-16 was a a borderline tournament team, a team that if we were doing a top 25 today would probably be in it, but but in the late teens, early 20s, as opposed to the top 10, uh, they benefited from getting uh, hot at the right time and from uh, a bracket opening up for them. And then they went out and beat Virginia. Like, I got nothing to say about that. Like, they went out and beat Virginia. Congratulations. But before they played Virginia, they, they benefited from a, a bracket that opened up for them. And so, um, again, you can rank Syracuse if you want to. I can, I'm not going to, like, Whole tack anybody over that very reasonable to rank Syracuse um, but it's also reasonable to not rank Syracuse um, at least uh, from my perspective let's get out of here with this uh, Sam like I mentioned I'm back home now uh, Norlander's back home now you uh, went to Portland from Houston you're at the Nike Hoop Summit um, what what's the storyline there what do we need to know about what's going on in uh, is it they still do it at the Nike campus um, no, it is at the uh, Portland Trailblazers practice facility and kind of the surrounding area. Um, it's a it's a nice event. I, I always enjoy coming up here, I would say. But uh, yeah, this international group, I saw them yesterday practice. I'm going to go see uh, the American kids practice uh, coming up here in an hour. And man, it gets it's going to be pretty ugly, I think, to be honest. These international kids, this class isn't. White is good as 
uh, you know, years past. And plus they're running into a American class with, you know, De'Aaron Fox and Jason Tatum and, uh, you know, all of those five-star, just incredible kids. Wenyan Gabriel's here. Uh, it's just a ridiculous group of American kids taking on a class of international kids that uh, is not as strong as it could be because there are plenty of really good international kids around the world, but a lot of them aren't here. Uh, you know, Isaiah Hartenstein, Frank uh, Tilkina, like these guys aren't here. Um, this is more like your maybe there might be like two or three first round picks on the international team. I, I would probably say two. And I will say this, though, the international team has DeAndre Ayton, who is considered the number one prospect in the 2017 recruiting class. And you literally could not create a better prospect, like physically, as far as like his frame in a lab like that dude is like seven foot tall with a seven, six wingspan. He's out there knocking down threes yesterday. Uh, he's just a beast on the boards when he wants to get his motor going, which uh, is hit or miss. Um, so I'm excited to see him develop throughout the week. I'm excited to see the uh, American kids coming up here in an hour, and it should be a good event. Uh, a lot of NBA scouts in attendance. Uh, small amount of media, but a, a good amount of media yet again. So I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Oh, we will we will uh, read uh, whatever you write uh, from Portland over at CBSSports.com, and whenever it's done, I don't know what the schedule is out there. Uh, travel home safely, and we will. Um, uh, we can do one of these a week, I think. Right? I think we can. Do uh, well, let's. You know, well, hold on. Let's 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 get into this here real quick. I would say let's not necessarily, you know, sign up because there can get there. The, these weeks can get dry. So. Let's let's do one. We can be more frequent than the last. Well, the other thing, like, listen, if we got a slow week, I can come on. We'll open it up, and then we can get into conversations comparing different college basketball coaches to Ray J. Like, that's not hard to do. We can we can definitely do that. I do want to say this. We need to find a, a guest spot for Devin Downey. I think that's. When that are we going to do just a one-on-one Parish and Downey uh, podcast? It seems it seems overdue at this point. Parish and Downey. You know, I. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the fact that um, you know I had I had plenty of love uh, on on the screen with uh, with my laptop. Oh and, and God, laptop what is going on with so. you? Dude? At what point? At what point do you do you recognize the whole country thinks you're a douche and you probably need to get rid of your bumper sticker? <laughs> I, that that's definitely not even remotely true. Just because Jeff Borzello found one guy. Oh no, Norlander, it's not a good look for you. I'm telling you, it's not a good look for you. You know what? Next next year, if if I end up in the same spot, then I'll uh, I'll bring out a Devin Downey sticker. How about that? Does that change everything listen, for you? Listen, for folks who who don't understand what we're talking about, Norlander because he's uh, uh, Norlander. Yeah, because he's Norlander. Um, is sitting uh, with him, in, a, in a camera angle that uh, puts him on national television uh, pretty regularly. And on his laptop, he has a bump. First off, why do you have a bumper sticker on your laptop? You don't think that's weird? Every freaking person has a MacBook Air, and I'm not going to have it accidentally taken when everyone's got the same-looking computer. Who's taking your MacBook Air? Like, where no one, because I got a big-ass sticker on it. Well, where does that happen, though? Like, Where is this, this world where people are just accidentally taking everybody else's MacBook you, Airs? You never, you never know. Well, of course you do. Like, I'm telling you, I know. I don't, I've never felt like my MacBook Air was in jeopardy <laughs> because it, it didn't have a Guster sticker on it. So this clown, Norlander, he's got this bumper sticker. It says, uh, Guster is for lovers. Is that what it says? Did I quote it accurately? That is a life motto right there. Okay. And so it's just, uh, first off. Like, you, have some, you have some life problems if that's a life motto, by the way. Yeah. You need to fix your life. So like, I'm living happy. So like on one side of the court, you got Jay Wright looking as cool as Ray J. And on the other side of the court, you got Matt Norlander with a stupid ass Guster bumper sticker on his computer, and the whole country is like not even tweeting. They're like they're not even tweeting about the basketball game. Like I'm surprised Guster wasn't trending. And I'm just telling you, I feel like I should talk to you about this the same way like when somebody says, uh, "Hey, Parrish, I ain't trying to like say anything, but you know, you're outside on the set for four hours. Do you want to put sunscreen on your bald spot? You know, like listen, like sometimes you don't want to hear that." You know, it's not something you want to hear when you were in your early 20s. You never think you're going to end up in that spot. But I can appreciate it because that those words are coming from friends. Hey, listen, I'm just trying to talk to you because, like, maybe you're the last to know. But you got that bald spot and the sun's pretty hot. And maybe you should put sunscreen on your bald spot. Same thing with this Guster situation you got going on, Norlander. Maybe you just don't know. 
but people are laughing at you about that bumper sticker. Do you care or not care? One, I, 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 one, you might be half right, but you go ahead and do a, do a Twitter search on Guster and Sticker, and you'll see nothing but love for the guy sitting behind the Carolina bench with the Guster it's sticker. It's not so, nothing but love. Somebody called you a douche canoe. I never even heard of a douche canoe. One <laughs> one dude with five followers. Called you a douche way, canoe. That dude, he's amazing. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Um, but listen, when I get invited to do some guest spots and play some guitar at some concerts, I'm not going to have any sort of regrets. You know what I'm saying? I uh, like. How did you even like? Uh, I, I've had I, the sticker on my computer for like five years. By the way, I know, this yeah, is not like a new thing. First off, how did, here, first off, how did you get a MacBook Air in the last five years? I've never been able to do that. Stop it, MacBook Air. That came out like five years ago, right? Without yeah, a doubt. Yeah, yeah. But like, I I'm on my third right now. Do I just not take oh. care of mine? You know what you need to do. You got to put a sticker on it. I would that's, never put a sticker on Like, here's the problem with putting any kind of sticker on anything. There's always somebody out there that's going to think you're a douche canoe. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the issue is, do is you there, have an issue is there, what it, somebody thinks of you and being a douche canoe? All I, I don't. All I care about is what people think of me, Norlander. <laughs> <That's all laughs> hey, you beat Danny Granger in a three-point contest. That's shout, all I know. Shout out to Danny Granger. So I got into a, a, a three-point shooting contest on television with Wally Zerbiak and Danny Granger. They have both been NBA All-Stars. They were both big-time scorers. And I didn't finish last in the three-point shooting competition. Wally finished <laughs> You're first. You're going to ride that for a decade. I finished second. Granger finished third. I beat Danny Granger in a three-point shooting competition. How about that? Honestly, that's the most shocking you thing You want to do another weekend. podcast tomorrow? That is the most that? shocking thing of the weekend. Trust me, I was blown away. Forget the, forget the Chris Jenkins shot. Forget the Marcus Page shot. Like... Parrish beating Danny Granger in a three-point contest is the most shocking thing of the weekend. Our producer, Andrew Finger, comes over to me like uh, about two hours before the show, and he says, hey, I got an idea. I said, cool. Well, he said, um, do, would you be in a three-point shooting competition with Wally and Danny? I said, 100% I would. And he said, oh, you can shoot? I said, no, I can't shoot. Are you out of your mind? But, like, I bet you I can have fun with it. And then I actually beat Danny Granger. Happiest moment of my life. The only thing that could have ruined it if I had, like, a Guster sticker across my forehead. That would have actually been even more amazing. Here's the problem. There's is there no any, reason to put a sticker on is your there any Is there any musical bumper sticker you could put on your computer that would end up on national television and, and there aren't a significant amount of people who would think you're a douche canoe? Um, that's a good, so what, what musician... That is a good question. What musician is basically most uh, critic-proof at this point? Because there's even like a Beyonce backlash at this point, okay? I know the Beehive's there, there, out there. It would be hilarious if you had a Beyonce sticker, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I still you know, think Kendrick, you get backlash for it. Kendrick Lamar, maybe he's yeah, pretty. Yeah, but, but the problem becomes then you're like an older white guy with a Kendrick Lamar sticker. That's yeah. also a very good point. Right. That's, a, that's a strong point. Right. So you can't go that way. I don't even think that there is. Like, um, could you? What would the be Beatles, the backlash? Maybe? Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. say. Like the you we could maybe do Beatles. You could maybe get away with the Stones. Um, maybe the Stones. Maybe yeah. the Stones. You could. I think the Beatles is probably the. If you were trying to 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 get you, if you had to have a bumper sticker on your computer for some stupid reason, and you were trying to avoid backlash at the greatest rate, I think a Beatles sticker would be the thing that would that would be your best option, right? Yeah, you can't even do Prince because Prince would have to be that symbol, and everyone hates the symbol. That's the one thing about Prince that everyone doesn't like is when he stopped being called Prince <laughs> and just became the symbol. So, yeah. Um, one last thing here as we wrap up, GP. You noted it. I just want to say it on the podcast. This tournament wasn't an all-time tournament, but really will be one of the most memorable ones and one of the most notable ones because um, you mentioned we had the biggest, you know, most shocking upset, which I agree, Middle Tennessee over Michigan State. We had um, the buzzer beater to win a title. We had the biggest comeback with Texas A&M over Northern Iowa and was less than a minute to go. We also had the Northern Iowa half-court buzzer beater, which was insane. Was there anything else? There were, like, like four things that we just had never seen. Well, that, uh, yeah, I mean, that's sort of... I, I ended up writing a comment a little bit about that. Like, there, there, this tournament had multiple... Man, I've ne that's never happened before things. Um, one team uh, beating another team by 44 in the Final Four. Like, we'd never, yes. we'd never seen that. Yeah. You know, Villanova beating Oklahoma, like, beating their brains in. Uh, we'd never seen a team come back uh, from down 12 in the final minute, like in, the, like in any college basketball game much less an NCAA tournament game. We had never, um, what were the other ones? We had never seen, oh, a, a team with the second best odds to win the championship lose its opening round game. We had that Middle Tennessee, uh, Michigan State. You know, we, we'd seen these things before, but they were still rare. A team win without any 
uh, obvious future first round picks, uh, double digit seed, make the final four. Like, I do think this will be a memorable uh, NCAA tournament, if only because a whole bunch of memorable things happen to happen in this NCAA tournament. Would absolutely agree. And I'm actually doing a top 10 games of the tournament. What I found was we had, so there's 67 games that were played and like 50 of them were not all that great. But the ones that were really good, like it was actually hard to get a top 10 because there were plenty that were uh, there. But then the, the the top five are so like so clearly the the really, 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 really good ones. And no spoiler here, obviously, number one. Will be the title. What you want in every tournament. The best game was the last game. So The best game awesome. uh, was the last game. Well, listen, um, it was good to see you guys in Houston. Um, I, I, feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like we had a fun time. Best I can, we, best I can remember. We did, we did have a fun time, without a doubt. All right, good. Well, that's always good to hear. Go, uh, <laughs> go do whatever you got to do, Sam, do you Orlando. disagree? Or, like, where is Sam right now? He's probably I'm here. I was trying to figure out how I'm getting to uh, this place that's far away from my hotel. Uber, you know, Uber they, dog. They they have cars for those things. Yeah, they have cars. Yeah. They have cars. Crazy. Yeah. So you just like um, you just have to no, like, get get this app on your phone, hit it, tell them where you're at. They'll come pick you up. It's 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 amazing. It Shocking, is kind of it is kind of amazing when you think about it in, in that respect, isn't it? Like, yeah, when, I, I can easily see why Uber is like a forty billion dollar company. Dude, I take I barely drive anymore. I don't even I don't, I don't even drive to the airport anymore. Like I grab an I get an Uber to come get me from the house. Get an Uber to take me home. Like, I don't even know yeah. where my car is right now. Like, yes, indeed. Like uh, Kelly walked out to the driveway this morning. She was like, "Where's your car?" I said, "I don't know." Doesn't matter. Yeah, Uber, Uber, no, Uber I, brought me home. I have a. Uh, I'm save. I'll save it for another time. But I have a very interesting story with the uber i took home from the airport yesterday but save save it for another time it's too soon i'm not ready my uber driver (laughs) my uber driver in houston the one that picked me up at the airport and took me to the hotel like last wednesday night or whatever name her name's shout out to reba her name's reba she's a school teacher in the day uber driver at night we had amazing conversation about public education the pros and cons and then uh and the next thing you know um i get a tweet from a dude like on wednesday night and he's like, he's like, hey, uh, I'm I'm in an Uber. Your driver Reba told me to tell you what's up. How good is that? How good is that? Very good. How good is that? That's that, awesome. That my Uber driver is is uh, is is sending me shout outs through other people on Twitter 24 hours after she was my Uber driver. Shout out to Reba. I hope she's listening to this. Shout out to Larry, the Uber driver that Sam got. <laughs> oh my God, Larry! Hey, let's just that shout out was... a bunch. Let's just shout out a bunch of Uber drivers. So this guy. Was, was the like most a, Texas human in America. I think he was a millionaire, and basically his son gave him grief and said, you can't just sit on your butt all day, so you have to do something. So he was like, you know, I've just been driving this Uber for two years. I just, <laughs> I just drive around. He's got this, what was the car, Sam, that he was driving? The Suburban? He has a, yeah, a massive Suburban. and has like around a, the corner. Yeah. Oh, my God, Yes. Thought we were going to get run over. Uh, he is like a, he's an old Navy vet, has a Navy uh, hat in his uh, in his windshield. So shout out to Larry for serving. And she it says he's driving us. This dude was the best. Yeah. No, he told us, like, what did he say? Like, yeah, you can have some of the candy, but you leave the Cheez-Its for me. Yes. <laughs> you know, what, like, you hear all these nightmare stories about Uber. Like, you know, every, you don't hear all, like, whatever. It's a successful business, so there's not a million of them. But, like, there are nightmare stories. I've never really had a bad Uber experience. Perhaps that's because I'm a old, unattractive man as opposed to a young, attractive woman. Um, because, I, you know, I, those are typically the type of people that have the nightmare stories, like some creepy mm-hmm. Uber driver. Uh, being creepy, but like I, 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 and this is like it should be like an, an advertisement. Like we should get Uber to sponsor the podcast. I swear by it. Like I, I can't use it enough. Like it, I don't rent cars anymore. I wonder how much damage it's done. I can uh, only imagine to to yeah. rent, to the rental car industry and also to the airport parking industry because it's like like and I don't live close to my airport. I live like twenty five minutes from from my airport, but it is it is so. Uh, less so less expensive for me to just have a take an uber to the airport and then take an uber home more convenient less expensive than it is for me to actually park my car at the airport if i'm going to be gone three or four days and especially when i'm going to be gone like seven which is what the final four is it's it's way less expensive yeah. for me to just take an uber to the airport and take an uber back home than it is to actually park my car at the airport i guess i don't have to wonder about these things i could probably google it and pop right up 
But I bet you Uber has done damage to everybody understands it's done damage to the taxi industry. I bet it's done damage to the rental car industry and the uh, airport parking industry because I do not rent cars anymore. I, I like yep. even like yep. I went I went to uh, Maryland to do a Mark Turgeon story back in the preseason, and I flew into D. I stayed in D.C. Um, like I stayed near the Capitol. And to go to Maryland, that's like a 30-minute drive. It's not far, but it's like a 30-minute drive. Still, way less expensive to just take an Uber. Like it's like 22 bucks. Just take an Uber as opposed to like actually rent a car, worry about where you're going to park it, paying parking fees at your hotel, rental car gas, all that stuff. Like I bet you the rental car industry is scrambling trying to figure out what to do about this Uber situation because I guarantee you a lot of people who travel regularly, like myself, uh, do not do not get rental cars anymore. It's still it doesn't make it, particularly if you're staying in a city because then you got to park that rental car at your hotel. Like yep. that that's gonna cost thirty dollars a night someplace. Like why would you ever rent a car anymore? I'm I'm with you. Everything from that to even you know there were free shuttle rides from Houston down down to the stadium, and plenty of riders would just take Ubers because it was. More timely and more convenient, and it's like seven bucks, more, and like that, that's more steady. reliable. Yeah. yeah, no, I think the first day I had to go out to, oh, it was all the interview sessions in, in you know at NRG Stadium. Uh, yeah, I took an Uber, and it's like seven bucks, and it's like not close. It's like seven bucks. Like, why would you wait around on a shuttle and like be around all these other people? You could just have your own Uber for seven bucks. You know, I hear you. I hear you, man. This hey, was a shout, vintage podcast. Shout we started out. with college basketball. And now we're just like we are ending this thing twenty minutes later than we thought we were going to. Yeah, but that's yeah. why we love each other. Yeah, yeah, we we have to go. Now. We do. Shout out to shout out to uh, Reba, my Uber driver. Shout out to Ray J. Shout out to Devin Downey. We'll talk to you again next week.